Hello and welcome to the Maximize Your Potential podcast. We are your hosts, Lee Povey and Brian Owens. If you're a founder, CEO, executive, athlete or coach, then this is the podcast for you. By sharing our own experiences from our work as elite athletes and coaches and through interviews with expert guests, we will guide you through skill sets and various mental models you can use to lead a more purposeful, joyful, impactful and authentic life. Our focus is around leadership, elite performance, mentoring and coaching. Our mission is to inspire, enable and empower anyone to truly maximise your potential. So get comfortable and enjoy the show. Hello everybody and welcome to the Maximise Your Potential Coaching Podcast. If you like what we do, please share this podcast or rate us on your favourite podcast provider and check out our YouTube channel. Uh, good morning, Chris. So today we have Chris Pritchard, international bike racer, personality <laughs> extraordinaire, all-round top bloke. Oh, thanks, man. Um, Chris, just before we start, I've got a few questions. Yes. Um, so just to, to set this up for the guests, we're going to have a few questions for Chris, and then we're going to pick a topic that he wants some emotional coaching on. So we're going to have some fun today. Oof. <laughs> that sounds deep. <laughs> and um, so, so just before we start, Chris, could you give our listeners a, a quick rundown on your cycling career? Um, I, 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 well, I say a lot of people know, but there, there isn't. Oh, if you're in the cycling world, you might have, have heard the story, but... Um, I used to race motorcycles um, through my teenage years, um, ran out of money doing that and really needed my competitive fix. And the only way I could do that was to go down the cycling route. I was using cycling as a bit of a training tool. Uh, went down that route, um, did really well in a couple of local races, ended up somehow going on the, the velodrome in Manchester and realized, you know, I had a bit of a hand for for sprinting. And it kind of just developed from there. I was lucky enough to go on the GB squad. I, literally after three or four months of training, they took me on um, and allowed me to train with them for a while. And it looked really positive. It looked like that they were really interested in taking me on. And I guess at some point, this is going to come back up in the uh, the conversation we'll speak about later. Um, so I'll keep it short now. They... They trained me for six months. Um, I excelled my expectations, their expectations, but then got dropped from there um, and then spent the next four or five years trying to pursue my own career within cycling, trying to fund myself, trying to go to Commonwealth Games, and I managed to go to, to two in 2010 and 2014, um, but never really achieved what I wanted and what I felt I was capable of, uh, of doing um, just due to lack of funding and lack of probably um uh self-assurance self-belief as well so then yeah retired from that and um got into presenting still around cycling still cycling a lot and and still love cycling awesome so yeah i had a bunch of questions and, and you kind of neatly tied all those up or teed <laughs> them up for me so perfect the, the first thing was um how exactly did you get into going on the track i'm trying to remember the guy that i thought introduced you so uh, he was as, a team as a, GB psychologist, wasn't it? Yeah, as a as a sprinter, it was it was Dave Riedel. That's it, Dave Riedel. Um, so he was working under Steve Peters, who most people will know. And um, he, I was, I kept going up to track league, and I was racing endurance. And he'd say to me every time, "You're not an endurance rider. You're a sprinter. Stop 
stop wasting your time on that. Come and train stop with us. around. Yeah. <laughs> and literally just went on for weeks and weeks. And I was like, all right, okay, let's, let's have a go. And then that's when he introduced me to specific training for sprinters. And we were doing flying hundreds or really short, intense efforts. And it just kind of snowballed there. And, and the technique came, the speed came. And yeah, I th- we spoke about this last week. The, the yeah. first event that I, I raced um, you were there and some yeah. of the GB riders were there and I had no idea who everybody was until later and I managed to win that event yeah like with you know without any knowledge of really what I was doing and I remember it I remember it really well I was mm. like who is this skinny guy <laughs> that's like in his mid-20s that I've never seen before that is kicking everybody's ass yeah because yeah because everyone knew everyone at that time didn't they and subsequently you, you I got to know the round, you just got to the front and went fast if I remember rightly and nobody that, that could was, come around you that was it but I had no <laughs> idea what I was really doing <laughs> speed you know if you're fast enough you're gonna win you don't need tactics yeah. if you're fast <laughs> enough until you get to world championships. until you get to the world championships yeah, yeah. And then and then it does yeah and, i mean at every level it helps but if you mm-hmm. are fast enough eventually you, you'll win a bike race yeah um so i really want to delve into if you don't mind the, the stuff around the gb team because as an outsider watching that you know as a coach myself at the time i was obviously i was really impressed by how quickly you progressed um, you know, I seem to remember you doing world-class times within three or four months of starting track sprinting, mm-hmm. like really, really fast, and being not far away from what kind of uh, the guys that were one level younger than you on the program were doing that had been doing this for four or five years or even longer than that. Yeah. So, you know, I just remember you coming in and making this huge impact and then talking to one of the GB coaches and them saying, like, after five or six months, yeah, I don't think we're going to keep Chris on. And I was like, why? <laughs> this is, oh, I can't right. understand this guy. is so fast. And they couldn't really give me a reason. You know, they're kind of like, well, he can't quite start fast enough. I'm like, has he been in the gym for long enough yet? Like, it takes time to build strength. So yeah. tell, me, tell me what that experience was like. It, it was pretty surreal. So it potentially may never have happened um had so if we go back before they even started um there was a um a sky tv documentary that was being made of these four or five women who were trying to lose weight and they were using steve peters and they were using cycling as a tool to help them lose weight and it just so happened that they didn't have any track time so they came on the same training session as us right and Shane Sutton was there supporting them and me and Dave were doing our efforts. And Shane said to Bob Barber, who at the time was uh, the manager, manager of the, the velodrome. Yeah. He said to him like, who, who's this, who's, who's this guy? And Bob knew me. So he was like, Oh, it's, it's Chris Pritchard. And he's just doing a bit of training and wants to, you know, sprint. And I came off the track and Shane had left and Bob actually said to me, you know, Shane's just been asking who you are. Now I, I obviously I knew Shane was, and I was like, really? It was like, yeah. <laughs> Just as I was leaving the track, he and putting my bike in the car, he was parked next to me, and I noticed him. So I was like, I should take this opportunity just to at least introduce myself. So I just knocked on his window, wound it down. I said, Shane, um, my name's Chris, and been doing a bit of sprinting. And Bob mentioned that you'd you'd asked who I was. So he was like, oh yeah, yeah. Um, he exchanged emails and said, just just email me sometime. We'll see what we can do. So I emailed him and. He said, come down and train with us. Oh, oh, sorry, jump in the gym with us and see how you get on. Now, as you'll know, and most people know me, know that strength isn't my 
Strong point. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's speed. I rely solely on the speed. So when we got in the gym, I think it was a bit of a wake-up call and I was like way off what everybody else was doing and, and they kind of looked at me and went, mm, maybe, maybe not. Let's have you have been a- doing like heavy gym training up until that point? No, no. Right. So it wasn't until Dave kind of got me under his wing that he started, yeah. you know, saying that this is what you need to be doing. So it'd been it'd been nowhere near my radar, really. Um, but then Shane said, while you're here, let's have, let's jump on the track and, and see what you can do. So I jumped in with the, the GB sessions. And like, like you said, I'm there or thereabouts, not a million miles away with very little technique and very little idea what I'm actually doing. I was able to get relatively close to the the young guys' times. And I think that was enough for them to say, well, let's keep an eye on him. Let's see what he can do. So then I, I was still working full-time as a personal trainer, and I'd go up there Tuesdays and Thursdays, spend the morning in the gym, learning about cleans and squats and learning what I should be doing. And then on the track, um, we were um, we were doing standard kind of standard sessions. And it was all progressing really well. And Dave Brailsford came down to the track center to speak to me, and he was impressed with what I was doing. He was like, you've clearly got a lot of headroom. You're just starting out, you know. It's, it's yeah. a really exciting prospect, so we'll keep an eye on you. And then as we got closer to nationals, they um, they started saying, we need to concentrate on the team now. We need to concentrate on the, the guys that are getting paid for this. So you'll have to uh, stop coming in Tuesdays. And then eventually it came to the point where we'll just send you your program. Just keep doing your program, but go and do it all back on the public session, sessions. And then we got to nationals. And um, if I remember rightly, I, I did a 10 five i think it was 10 five nine eight uh, for the flying 200 and that put me right in the mix of all the gb riders i was i was right there so i knew i wasn't so a million miles be, away how long ago was this like so this was 2009 yeah, yeah so i've been training for four months essentially okay. um 2009 nationals um I, i'm i so i qualified i think it was sixth or seventh and i'd beat a few of the junior riders that were at that point like the best in the world were doing about 10 dead or nine nine weren't they so you know you were yeah. in half a second or so of the best in the world yeah yeah there was there was kind of a big gap between well a, a big gap there was a gap between probably chris and jason yeah matt crampton at the time and then the rest of the riders we were there or thereabouts yeah so i managed to qualify and then i'd be pete mitchell in the first round which Again, a guy with loads of experience at the time, still young, but had the experience, and I managed to beat him. Yeah, I um, remember I, that well. He still I, remembers that well. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good finish. There's a good photo of that, actually, of, of yeah. me and him crossing the line. Um, I did all right in the Kieran, but again, wasn't really looking at that as a as a specific event yeah. uh, that I'd go well in. And I, I had a big crash, actually, in the Kieran, but I thought I'd done enough beating Pete I was like, right, I know Pete's going to be on the squad next year. If I'm beating him in three months, four months, I should, there's no reason why they shouldn't be, you know, taking me on. Um, And then fast forward two or three weeks later, didn't hear anything from them. And then I got this letter and I remember it. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was sat in my my bedroom at my mum and dad's house. And I remember reading the letter and not believing what the letter said. Like, just refusing to accept what it said. A stage of I'd grief, gone, denial. <laughs> I, I, but then it, 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 it soon turned into just, 
well, I guess grief. I was just roaring my eyes out, absolutely bawling. Like, how could they do this? This was it. This was my opportunity. This was everything I'd been kind of dreaming of, of wanting to do and pursue. And yeah, they, so I phoned Shane. I got straight on the phone. I was like, Shane, what's happened? Why? He says, in a nutshell, he said, you're too old and you're too slow. That was his explanation. Yeah. And I was like, well, how can you say that when when I'm doing these times and we've, we've barely even scratched the surface. I'm, yeah. And you know, there was definitely weaknesses there, but instead of trying to polish them out and strengthen those weaknesses, it was literally just whoosh, off you go onto the next one. And if you look at, um, uh, do you remember Jason Queeley? Do you know that name? Yeah, 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 yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you look at Jason Queeley, he was actually very similar to you. So um, he was doing, he was a water polar player who then mm-hmm. did time trials and somebody at the time trial said, you're a pretty big lad. Why don't you go and give the track a go? Went and did an open session at the track and did something like an 11.4 or 11.5 on a, on a higher bike. And everyone was like, yeah. oh, this guy's pretty quick then. <laughs> and that was how he got started. But obviously the difference was when he got started, there was almost nobody else. There was Chris uh, Hoy and there was uh, Craig McLean but they were still very young guys and they hadn't kind of hit international level when he started or Craig was just about getting there. So they needed him. They had to make it work with him because they didn't have a team sprint without him. Whereas obviously when you were there, there was still another bunch of guys in the mix with you, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I got kicked. I think Pete stayed, uh, Christian went and Steve went and a couple of others went who I'd, who I'd beaten. So I, yeah. You know, I just presumed I was literally the last the last name that yeah. just didn't make it. There was like you say there was a there was a good solid squad there to take the pick from. Had it been a year earlier or a year later, things might have been a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, you know, as an outside observer, I really felt for you. I felt you needed longer. I didn't oh, think it personally didn't think it was long enough to really judge what you were capable of doing. And the other thing I was a little bit surprised about looking at you physically that nobody ever looked at you for the team pursuit. I think maybe because the event was slightly different then to what it is now. Cause I think yeah. now you'd look at somebody like you and go, okay, you know, maybe he doesn't have the sheer physicality to do a world-class team sprint and get on the 17. don't know. Cause you hadn't done enough gym at the right level, but mm-hmm. maybe, but certainly you were fast enough to, to go into a team pursuit and at least try and see if you could get the repeatability needed to do a decent team pursuit. Yeah, I think, I, I, I think you you're right. Certainly fast enough. Because yeah, I th- I, what I had above everybody else was probably a little more endurance. Yeah. Because I'd come from a crit background, a, a road yeah. racing background, albeit maybe a year of it, it was still, you know, a lot more than what the other boys had. And I didn't have that pure muscle mass. So yeah. I could have probably transitioned into that a bit a bit easier but again you look at the the squad that they had at the time and it's pretty hard to break in <laughs> exactly yeah yeah especially when you're not in what you what you find with that system at british cycling is if you're not in there and if your face doesn't fit unfortunately i remember a guy one of the guys who got kicked probably the previous year he said if your face doesn't fit then you won't get a chance yeah and yeah, yeah. i, I, I think I um Having watched it evolve, I think they're more open now to people coming into different routes. So like, uh, you know, two riders I coached, Helen and Ryan, they were the first two riders 
to get onto the program. After they'd set up the pathway, the talent team, the ODP, the academy, they were the first two riders to get on that didn't go through that, mm-hmm. um, that had kind of missed out on selection there and then got selection later on. So I think they started to realise that although they had this great you know, young development pathway, there were still people that could come into the mix later on that had something to offer. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And, and in that. some ways, I mean, you're almost a little bit like um, what's the rugby guy? His name's escaping me at the moment. Who went like nine nine after doing it for about six months? Oh, massive dude. Um. Oh, Alex. Alex. Alex Scrub. Yeah. 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 A bit like that, isn't it? You know, you come mm. in that little bit later, and as you say, it's like, oh, can we be bothered to invest the time into getting this guy to the level needed? And it's like, well. The guy's doing nine nine after riding a bike for about six months. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and he makes me look crap as well, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. but again, how far is he going to go in the sport? Because one, the sport's very limited in itself. You know, if you don't go to Olympics, you're never going to make a living out of it. No, never. And 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 I not, probably not as a, to be clear to the, the, the you know many of our listeners are kind of business people and and people in different sports. So to be mm-hmm. clear, in track cycling. You know, the, the, the pot is so small that unless you're going to be going to either winning world championships or kind of meddling at world championships or going yeah. to the Olympics and meddling at the Olympics, it's very difficult to get the sponsorship or the funding from, you know, your national governing body to actually make it a career. It's, you yeah. know, most, most people doing track sprinting on the world level are just getting by if they're lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I probably should have seen that a little bit sooner and realised, but I was, <laughs> I, was, I was so pissed off that Shane Sutton had told me I was too old and too slow that I was like, right, I'm going to spend the next however long it takes to prove this man wrong. Well, I mean, again, you know, Jason Queeley was the same age as you and two years later won an Olympic gold medal. And, and he continued being on the GB team until his early 40s. I think he was 42 when he did the team pursuit at the Euros. Yeah. So, you know, if you, if you look after yourself and if you start high-level athletics a little bit later, your career tends to be able to go on for a bit longer because basically you have most people seem to have about 10 years of really hard intense training before either their body gives out or their mind gives out they're just like i'm done i can't put myself through the pain necessary anymore you know i don't want to go and do limit squats anymore i'm done with it um you know it's hard it's really hard to train at that level And, and and people that haven't trained that hard don't know this the the energy enthusiasm it requires to go and train that hard every day to stay at that level yeah. So kind of the next question for me was, so you got this news, obviously devastating, you picked yourself back up and then you spent the next eight or so years kind of on the fringes involved with the Scottish team and kind of mm-hmm. doing your best to do some kind of representative racing. Would that be fair? Yeah. So I, I still felt like I had, I mean, my talent didn't, or whatever talent I had, didn't just disappear overnight no. when Shane said I was too slow or too old. Yeah. It was still there, and I still had the hunger to to chase something. And when I was a kid, I always wanted to represent Scotland playing football because one, I love football; two, I love my mum. And that's that. You know, so I your mum's your mum's the Scottish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So oh, my mum's right, Scottish. Okay. So um, okay. I always I always wanted to represent Scotland in some form. And 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 looking at it, the Scottish team would have been slightly easier to get into, which which just helped my case. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was the plan. I was. It was just all guns blazing towards trying to make it to the Commonwealth Games. So um, just got my head down, trained on my own with with zero funding um, and just went back to those um, 
public sessions, training with Dave, being in the gym, just learning the craft. And yeah, luckily a year later, I, um, well, it would have been less than a year, probably six or seven months qualified for, for Scotland to go to, to my first Commonwealth Games in, in Delhi. But again, not that I'm taking away from myself, but there was a lot of riders who didn't want to ride Delhi which just opened it up for us and just it was, made it a little bit easier. It was an interesting experience, Delhi, wasn't it? Like there was yes. many of the top riders were like, hmm, go to a Commonwealth Games in India, get food poisoning, not yeah. be able to train for six months. <laughs> exactly. And, and I can't remember the stat now, but there was a crazy stat, like 75% of the athletes in the swimming competition got food poisoning yeah. or something crazy. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah, I'm sure the pool was just green when, when we arrived. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I remember um, Pete Mitchell going there and uh, messaging me. And he didn't eat for a week. He got he got he got uh, whatever yeah. it was, you know, gastroenteritis, like day one, and didn't eat for a week. And kind of you know raced at the end of that week, and he hadn't been able to eat anything more than an energy gel for a week. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty. I mean, it was a great experience to represent yeah. your country, but it was. It was also a bit of a grim experience when you compare it to, to 2014, you know. It's, yeah. So yeah. what was this? Let's move on then. So you kept yourself going. You kind of, you know, managing to survive. Not really. And, right. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about that then. Not really. So, again, after coming back from the Commonwealth Games, I thought maybe I've done enough to get back on the squad or maybe I've done enough to warrant some sort of funding somewhere. So, so that continual thought was always, have I done enough? So you're kind of going against this, am I worthy enough? Am I worthy enough? All the time, mm-hmm. is, will my next performance be enough? When probably in reality, they'd made that decision and they weren't looking to go back on that decision. Yeah, potentially. Um, just So just prior to going out to Delhi, actually, we, we had the Nationals again. Yeah. And it was that Nationals where I got my first national medal in the Kieran. Um, I ended up finishing third. So that yeah, again, I remember again, you did a really good ride. Yeah, there was um, there's a picture of of all the riders lined up. Every single one of them, a British squad rider. Every one of them in the the team sky kit at the time. And then there's just me in the white ASOS um, uh, skin suit. And yeah, I um, I managed to stick on Jason's wheel, and you know he told me pretty much told me to the line. A yeah. lot of riders were a bit annoyed at that, I think, but. You know, that was... That's how Kieran's work. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I ended up getting my first medal there and went into Delhi feeling like, you know, potentially we could we could, we could could do something. And again, just feeling like I'd taken another step towards being worthy of that place on the squad to get that full-time contract, to be able to put everything into it and really fulfil my what I thought, you know, was my potential. Uh, but in between 20... 10 and 2014, um, a whole host of, of issues occurred. I got assigned by Endura, um, which I guess is a professional contract, but I was never paid. So, you know, but it was a professional team at the time and they were helping fund my cycling career. So now at least my cycling for that year wasn't going to cost anything. Right. So, so, we so planned how were they like, funding you then, like paying for you to go to races? Yeah, just take, yeah, just expenses, kit, right. everything apart from an actual wage. Right. So, um, we were heading out to Moscow to race the the one of the big the big races out there. And on the way back from a training ride, I ended up getting hit by a car, um, knocked off my bike, broke a couple of ribs, bit of internal damage, but enough to put me out for a good couple of weeks. Yeah. But what happened? What ended up happening was I just kind of spiraled into. I'm not sure if it was 
what you class as depression or just a lack of motivation or whatever it was, but I just couldn't find the motivation to go back. I couldn't, I was telling uh, my girlfriend at the time, um, I want to race. I want to be a professional rider, but I wasn't fulfilling that, um, the image of a professional rider. I wasn't doing, I was saying I was, I was talking the talk, but not walking the walk. Yeah. I'll get back into it. I'll get back into it. and never really got back into it. And kind of my, my career just fizzled out. And I think I spoke to you briefly about it before, you know, just a, a feeling of, of loss of like, didn't know who I was, didn't know what I was going to do anymore. If I didn't have this cycle in who, who even was I? I, I didn't really have a career to, to, to go to because I'd put all my eggs in that basket. I felt that that was, I don't know this sounds, crazy but I felt that that was my destiny I felt that that's what I was supposed to be doing because of how the doors had opened and how the journey had gone I was like I've just got to see this through I've got to keep going but then it just got so hard um and 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 things got hard at home because I was trying to chase this this dream as well so that it was like a double impact and that uh, and, puts a lot of pressure on isn't it you know like you, you got a partner and uh you know you're yeah. Which, when did you when did you have your first kid? Was it before or after the twenty fourteen games? So we he was three months old when we were four months old. So he was born in April twenty fourteen, and I went in um, right. July. So so even then, like you know, as a man, you know, you have you have commitments now. Like okay, mm-hmm. you know, I have a family. I've got commitments. I need to be bringing in some money. Yeah, and, you know, as we kind of alluded to earlier, unless you are right at the very top in track cycling it's not like a lot of other sports where you know you can kind of I don't want to use the word journeyman because that's not the right term but you know you can kind of be less than the very top flight and still make an actual living you know it's a yeah. productive living it's a career it's a profession whereas in track cycling you're doing it for the love of the game you know you the just... only person I know really or the only two or three people I know who got actually reasonably wealthy from track cycling is Chris Hoy and, yeah. and maybe some of the girls like Laura Trott have made some reasonable money out of it out of you know appearances and and uh, I guess Brad but probably Brad's more because of what he did on the road than the track yeah. but um, you know it's not cycling even professional road cycling for the majority of the people in it it's not a game where you make a huge amount of money you're no. doing it because you love the sport. Yeah, I, I was happy not to make a, a huge amount of money. I was happy to have made a living out of it. Yeah, to have just enough to a, survive. Yeah. Pursued a passion. Yeah, that was that's all I wanted to do out of it. And and again, I felt like I was capable of doing so. And again, like you say, pick another sport. If I was, let's say, I was top ten percent in Britain. If I was top ten percent in Britain in just about any other sport. I'd be making a fairly decent living, wouldn't I? Yeah, yeah. If you were playing rugby, uh, if you were soccer, you were cricket, yeah. you'd be you'd be doing really well. You'd have a, a viable career with a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. So yeah, and, and that's it. You know, people look from the outside and they see it and they look at the GB program and even the other countries. You know, you know, I'm I'm based now here in America and and the guys here are very envious of the GB program because there's little to no funding for track sprinters here in America. Mm-hmm. and they look at it and they're envious and I kind of try to tell them yeah it's great if you're one of the very chosen few but if you're on the outskirts of that it's just the same for them there as it is for you here like it's 
it's like anything really the world has changed you want to make it you've now got to have a social media presence you've got mm-hmm. to be engaging people you've got to be looking for sponsors you know that's how you make it work that's how it yeah. works in this kind of business-minded day is and what i see is many athletes don't understand it's not about results you know no. my back friend in the day yeah you know it was back in the day now you know you want to make a career as a professional athlete you know results will help to some degree but actually what what people what your sponsors want is what's the return on their investment mm-hmm. and so they want you to have a lot of social media followers and they want you to be talking about the products that you use in and they want you to be advertising their business and in a professional and exciting way and whether you win or not, in some ways, almost doesn't matter if you have a decent no. social media presence and people like you. You know, my friend here, Nate Koch, um, I'm, I'm sure you know Nate, yeah. you know, was not the fastest sprinter, yet, you know, had a reasonable career here in America by being a personality, by keeping yeah. people entertained, knowing what the crowd wanted to see, got invited to six-day races because he was fun to watch and he would, you yeah, know, exactly. G the crowd up and people were excited about him racing. It didn't matter how fast he was. Yeah. Nowadays, nowadays that's the case. But yeah, back in our day, that no, wasn't the case at all. Was speed. <laughs> and you didn't have, you know, the social media wasn't as big as it was then. You know, you're talking 10 years ago. I mean, that was the iPhone had only just been invented. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's crazy how quickly things have changed. And yeah. and now, I mean, you know, let's let's touch on this now. So, so you what was the final point in the cycling career what made you kind of decide okay banging my head against the wall that's it it's enough i've done enough of it now uh do you know what lee i don't even know if i finished with it like i know i'm not (laughs) i know i'm not gonna make a career out of it but i don't oh you know know when you you kind of feel like there's still unfinished business you know yeah how old are you now 37 okay so there's still there's still a few years. <laughs> I don't keep telling myself. But I, I I I know that I'm I'm never going to make a career out of it. It's probably after after the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow. Um, took a really long hard look and thought, if if I'm going to do anything, now is the opportunity. Now is the time. We've just had a home Commonwealth Games. Yeah. Um, a few people, you know, know who I am now. I've got a decent. Um, like a, a sales pitch to take to companies to say, yeah, these are the games. This is what I did. Give me some more money for for a year or two to to again to see how well I can go and to see what I can do. Um, but again, that that wasn't the case, and it, it was probably a few months afterwards that I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm I, I really need to find a normal job, a normal career, um, and just you're not a normal, normal person. Life. Thanks, mate. <laughs> but well, you're not- that's. You know, some of us or some people, I'm not one of them, can do the nine to five job and find complete purpose in it mm-hmm. or not find purpose in it, but just justify it because that's the easier path for them, whatever the whatever the choice is, you know. Um, you're not one of those people. Absolutely not. I don't feel like one of those people. I've tried it before in the past and, yeah, yeah it just, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I can't. I've, I feel like I've got so much more to to do see b um to to kind of give that i feel it'd be a waste of of me to go and sit in an office and type away entering numbers now if someone like you said if someone wants to do that and they find purpose in it then that i'm i'm all for that i love that but for me personally 
that's not the route I want to take. Yeah. I want to, I, I want to be, I want to do me. What I sense from you is you like to make an impact as well. Like you want people to know you're there and you want people to know, you know, you, you, you want, there's something that you want to either create some kind of change or something, or, you know, there's, there's this urge to be part of it. Yeah, definitely. I've, yeah. I feel on one hand, you know, my mum and dad have ground me so much that I feel uh, that I, you know, I, I know my place in the world and I'm, I'm, I like to think I'm pretty humble with it, but also there's this other side of me that, that is, you know, I like the attention. I like being out there. I like being positive. I like, like you said, making Don't be afraid to share it. It's okay. You can lean into wanting attention. (laughs) It's, but it's so hard to say that because especially in this day and age, because it, it feels like it's coming from a place where I solely want attention. And I had this conversation actually over the weekend. Um, I said, I, 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 someone said, do you want to be famous? And I said, well, yeah, well, yeah, I do, but I don't want to be famous for the sake of being famous. I want to bring something that people want. I want to entertain people. I want people to, I want, I want fame as a byproduct of bringing something to the world, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, and nowadays it feels like you just want to be famous for the easy life, uh, for the sake of being famous, so you can put out Instagram posts. Whereas I, I want to be out there and I want people to know who I am because I do a good job or I bring something to them, whether that's escapism or 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 fun or whatever it might be. It's um, you know, I'm constantly fascinated by how quickly the world has changed. You know, we're of a we're of an age group that you know, we know the pre-mobile phone area, we know the pre-internet connected mobile phone mm-hmm. area, which made even a bigger difference. And, you know, what people were famous for 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40, 50 years ago, compared to what people are famous for now, and then how it turns people into role models that should not be role models, mm-hmm. um, and don't want to be role models, but are thrust into it, you know? Looking at, let's just take, uh, you know, the recent one with cyclists that are now having to backtrack from social media posts or apologize for social media posts because they've suddenly realized that a professional career as a cyclist means that everything you do is judged. And, you know, whenever I see these posts on on social media and, like, you know, the company is posting, hey, so-and-so is apologizing for this tweet or for liking this or whatever, and then you always get these people underneath it going, well, this is ridiculous. They should be able to do whatever they like. And they don't understand that once you're now a professional, you are representing the team and you're representing the sponsors. And the sponsors and the team have an image of how they want to be represented. And yeah. you have to fit in with that. And sure, you can have your own private thoughts and you can think and, and you know do whatever you want in your own circle. But anything that you do that is publicly accessed, there's going to be a judgment on it. And it's going to it's going to make the difference as to whether you keep that contract or not. You know, people kind of go, well, you know, it's their right to have free speech. And it's like, no, they've signed a contract. And part of that contract will talk about your presence on social media. Yeah. So, you know, there's this world now where we have to, if you're going to enter into that kind of level, unless you're doing it more like you're doing it, which is like, right, I'm creating my own content. I am yeah. in charge of what I do, and therefore I can do it how I like. You know, like Tim Ferriss isn't beholden to his sponsors. Now, 
he needs to think about what he's going to do and how that might impact who wants to sponsor him. And that's a business decision, but he's not beholden to them by the fact that he can get sacked by the sponsors. It's just going to affect his income. But if you're a professional athlete, you can get sacked by your sponsors. That's how it works. It's tough, though, when you think, you know, like a young a young person who back in the day had 10 followers and they were yeah. all friends yeah. and they all thought the same thing. So they they tweet out something and not even think of what kind of an impact it would have. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's pretty unfair. Like, you know, a, a company, if they're, sign, if they're signing a, a big name, that they should take that time to just have somebody go back through the tweets and just say, we don't agree with this and that's going to make our, our image look bad. Do you one still agree with it? And if you don't, can you can you take it down? Yeah, I think it's I think it's highly unfair that some. It, well, I guess it depends on the context of what people are saying. But you know, if someone makes a stupid tweet ten years ago, I don't think they should be beholden on that ten years later when they have evolved and changed as a person and they lose their job and potentially career from that from a silly tweet that they never thought about ten years ago. I agree. I agree. And um, I, I think, you know, that goes, that's nicely circles back to what we were talking about, you know, um, before we start the podcast about how we grow, you know, as human beings, we grow and we learn and we go, we get exposed to different people, different cultures, different ideas. And we go, oh, you know, maybe that thing I thought then wasn't so wise. And maybe I can see that in a different light now. And as you get older, you, uh, you know, if you're interested in emotional development, you get more nuanced. So, you know, when you're younger, things are black and white. You know, this is right, that's wrong. And, and often you'll follow other people and you don't even give it much actual thought. You just join in for the sake of joining in. Um, I kind of wanted to go back to what you were talking about, wanting to be appreciated and kind of, you know, wanting to have impact, but also wanting to have some kind of appreciation for that impact. And um, something I do a lot in my coaching work is we, we look at the three things that people really want, like the basic things. So have you heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so the kind of the highest one on that was food, water and shelter. Yeah. Um, and actually Maslow later in his life said he'd got his hierarchy wrong. And the emotional part of it is just as important as the physical part of it. Mm -hmm. So we need three things. So we need security. So the food, shelter, water, that, that's the security part of it. Mm -hmm. Then the next thing is we need to feel in control. You know, nobody, nobody doesn't want to feel in control of their life. You know, that's why, you know, that's why the threat of going to prison is so difficult for people is because your control is taken away from you. I mean, it isn't in the, in the point of view that even in prison, you still get to decide who you are and how you react to things. But, mm -hmm. you know, we want to be in control. So that's a really important thing. And lastly, we want to be loved. Like everybody wants to be loved in some way or other, liked, appreciated, noticed. So they're the three things that drive human behavior. And if you're ever struggling to understand how somebody's behaving, just think, is one of those things being threatened in some way? Because yeah. if it is, now you can understand why they're behaving that way. So it's really that kind of that simple. So kind of let's delve into the emotional side of it now a little bit more. Take a deep mm -hmm. breath, Chris. <laughs> hey, you know, as you've as you've said those things, like cogs have just dropped into place. I'm like, all right, yeah, a lot of stuff that's going on makes sense. You know, and and 
I just want to reflect. So, you know, what I've heard you say is you had this great opportunity that came around almost by fluke. You know, mm -hmm. like it just so happened that Shane Sutton was at a training session that you were at just at a time that you also met a guy that happened to be a reasonable sprint coach and Dave Riedel and, and part of the program. So you would get some, you know, some reasonable basic coaching to allow you to show your talent. And then suddenly here's the guy that's in charge of the program that's actually just at a session by chance watching you, watching you do it. And for those that don't know, you know, just because the GB program is based at Manchester doesn't mean the coaches are watching every training session. Like they have oh, no. no interest in the normal training sessions going on. They, they don't come and watch those. So it, that's actually quite a rare occurrence in itself. Then you get this opportunity then it gets taken away from you. I'm curious to kind of delve into like, how did that feel? Like, how did you cope with that feeling at that time? Uh, I'll be honest. I don't know if I've, I've even still coped with it. I don't think I've ever got over it. Right. I think my whole journey of cycling past that was was one of um, blindly just going against what someone told me I couldn't do. I I honestly do, and I, and I, there are there are there's there's been moments throughout when I, you know, I'll just stop and I'll I'll really struggle with it, and I'll think still even to this day like it could have been so different why did that happen that way now I think I'm old enough now and intelligent enough to realize that it is it was what it was right and other opportunities have come from it that I would have never experienced had I not had it go that way so on one hand god I wish it was different it could have been so much different and so much better. But on the other hand, the opportunities that have come out of it, the things that I've done, the people I've met, I would never have done had it been that way. Uh, but back in 2010, what, uh, 2009, 10, when it happened, 2009, when it happened, um, like I said, back at the start, I remember, I remember getting the letter and I remember seeing it and, and I couldn't cope. I didn't know what to do because I put all those eggs in that basket. I'd, I'd gone into, I was so adamant that I was going to get it that I'd gone into work as a personal trainer and at Fitness First, they you'd have to pay a rent as a personal trainer. The rent is set worldwide. You cannot adjust it. You cannot change it. But I went in and I said, this is what I'm doing. This is what I want to try and do. So is there any leeway? And for, the manager was a big cycling fan and she said, I will reduce your rent by 50% like unbelievable but I was so adamant that I was going to get it I said that's not good enough <laughs> I don't care I'm going <laughs> because I thought I was in that frame of mind where it's destiny it's it's meant to be this is this is the path I'm going so I yeah I worked myself up so much A and these emotional came. investment there yeah and you've got like the likes of Chris Hoy coming to the same track session as you telling you oh great job what you're doing, how's your training going? You've got Victoria Pendleton saying, listen, if you're in with Shane Sutton, you're in. You're in the squad. Like, don't worry about it. Just crack on and do your work. And that's what I did. I didn't slack. I didn't, I wasn't not, I wasn't unfocused. I was, I was and fully you were progressing on rapidly from, from an outside point of view. Yeah, yeah. You know, you were progressing rapidly. Mm. And, and, and that's what I felt. Um, potentially, again looking back maybe I believe my own hype a little bit too much afterwards uh, and didn't commit the hours I should have done but 
in that moment of, of finding out, I didn't cope with it and I didn't know how to cope with it and I didn't know what to do. And and yeah, I had I had somebody there to talk to and really go through it all, I would have it would have been easier to take. But as I say, on my own, just yeah, it just it still haunts so, me to this day to a degree. Yeah, so let's talk about so was there nobody that you felt you could talk to about it? Well, I spoke to another guy that was on the squad, Christian Light, at the time. Um, I, I, I spoke to him. Well, I wasn't really... Who went for that... a, uh, you know, just for the listeners, Christian Light, yeah, I, I sorry, thought yeah. was a huge talent. Um, mm-hmm. I, I still think that he was cut from the programme too soon. I think he was a super Far talented guy. And I just my judgment of it was, again, from an outsider, was... Um, you know, the coaches just didn't know how to connect with Chris to get mm-hmm. the best out of Chris. It was, Chris didn't respond to that kind of regimented, right, this is how we do it, bang, bang, bang. He needed a little bit more space than that, especially where he was at in his maturity at that point in his life. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a young guy. He just needed a little bit more space to find his feet and to kind of see who he was. But, I mean, a huge time. did 19-3 when he was 16. I mean, like, yeah. What an absolute beast. And you see him now, I'm sure you see him now, like oh, weightlifting and he's, an, he's a monster. Yes, yeah. <laughs> an absolute yeah. monster, like super powerful, strong guy. So yeah, I, I can understand how you guys kind of bonded over that similar experience. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, we definitely we came we, we came good friends on the on mm. the squad, but then yeah, afterwards we we always kept in touch and made sure we were kind of talking to each other. Um but I guess, you know, like mental health and that kind of emotional turmoil that you go through with that wasn't something you really talked about back then. It wasn't like yeah. on the, I guess, the hierarchy of, of, of issues. Yeah. Um, so you, you, it's just, all right, it's essentially you didn't get the job. Move on, find something else. But again, because I'd put so many eggs in that basket, I was just, I, 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 yeah, I, could, I, I just couldn't cope with it. And, yeah, and really, really you, struggled. Um, in terms so, of my so, what did you do then? Like, it, it, it just what I'm hearing is it's still unresolved now because you never really got into it. Does that would that be fair? Yeah, I, I think it's because I never achieved what I felt I was capable of achieving. Right, uh, and that goes on to that comment where I said I potentially believe my own hype. You know, I'd medaled at a national championship. I must be good. Uh, and, and I got a, to a certain degree based solely on natural ability, not anything else. And then that that next step, that next level of world class, it, it, I needed to put more effort in. And I and I I can I, hand on heart I can say I didn't. Right. Uh, and that that stopped me from getting where I felt like I was capable of getting. You got swept away a little bit in the kind of yeah. glory and emotion of it all. Exactly, yeah, 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 and yeah, never really fulfilled my potential, and I think that's why I I kind of still struggle with it to this day. Um, to have stu- to have stood on a Commonwealth Games podium, which I felt I was capable of doing, um, would have would have made it all worth it. Like the sacrifices my family went through during that period between probably 2012 and 2014, um, I need I needed to take something back to them. Yeah. You know, my wife, my my kid, my mum and my dad. I needed to take a medal back to them to say everything I went through and everything you've been through was because of this. So I'm going to challenge that. <laughs> okay. Do you think the medal would have made any difference to them? 
No. No, I don't. That, that, that would be my judgment. Too. <laughs> but it would it, but it would have made a it, it was it was a tangible item. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like fourth place is is nothing. It's still a great result for someone who was not funded and riding against the world's best. Yeah. But it wasn't it wasn't a medal. There wasn't that moment in time where you stood on a podium, yeah. the camera was on you. Everything and, got recognized. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm going to offer you something here. Um, I, a medal? I, I, no, not a medal. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I may, I'm going to ask your permission. I, I want to offer you some feedback here, if that's okay. Yeah, of course you can. Yeah, yeah. go for it. So I think you were you kind of skirting around it or you were hitting it earlier with the reframing of it. So I think to help you move forward, my judgment is that if you can reframe the experience that you had, and instead of looking at it like an experience of loss, because that's what I'm judging here is this experience of, I had this opportunity and I didn't make the most of it. And I didn't, you know, I didn't get that tangible thing. Instead, reframe it and look at what you did get from it. Um, you know, there are a thousand other people that wanted to be in the position that you've been in. You know, the Commonwealth mm -hmm. Games is the second biggest sporting event for track cyclists in the world. Yeah. Uh, in the world. And you went to two of them to represent your country. Now, that's pretty special in itself if you recognize yeah. that and you go, hey, I was 25 years old. I got seen at a, like a public training session. This wasn't some talent search, this wasn't some program where I was being evaluated. I just got noticed by the GB coach at a training session by luck. And you, with your own hard work, perseverance and talent, turned that into two appearances at Commonwealth Games for your country. You know, there yeah. are many, many people that don't get to represent their country that want to. You know, mm -hmm. I, you know I, for those listening, you know, I've been a cycling coach for 15 years at working at the elite level. I have coached hundreds of people. Out of those hundreds of people, um probably 10 have made it to a level where they represented their country yeah. and i'm i'm a really good coach and i'm really good at finding talent so that's you know like so it, it, that's higher odds than than most people have, have come across as coaches and still that's you know that's yeah probably five percent of the people i've worked with have ever gone on to it and most of that's been age related as well not even the elite level the olympic level you know i work mm -hmm. with three athletes that have gone to an olympics well one that's gone to olympics and two that went to Paralympics. it's incredibly rare to get to that level to get to that level in itself is something that is to be hugely admired number one mm. and then number two i kind of like what you know my question for you now is like what is going to be your purpose moving forward what can you take from this from your experiences and where does it go moving forward what, what do you want your life to look like ah man um that's i'm not messing around chris big question really good question um i just i just I'm, I'm trying to think of how long it's acceptable to sit here in silence for your listeners while i have a think about that um Wow. Um, I mean, I don't, I feel like, although cycling has been part of my life for so long, I don't feel like my life is always going to revolve around cycling. I don't really want it to. I want it. I, like at the minute I'm, I'm training for the fun of it and it has been such good therapy. Like I've been through some, some, some shit, if you don't mind me saying over the past yeah, couple yeah. of months and 
being out on the bike has allowed me to process that has allowed me to take the time to think and and make me realize how um how I'm capable of 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 kind of processing thoughts and feelings nowadays as I was to to back in the day um there was something I was going to touch on there which I forgot about um so just going back while I carry on thinking about this um to your first point of um of reframing um it's not past me what I achieved and I don't take any of it for granted yeah. like I know that I was so lucky to have gone through all that I but I as a competitive person I guess I find it hard to to ever accept that what I did was was good because I never walked home with that medal and there are moments when I do think that nowadays I can look back and think I, I experienced something that only a handful of people in the world will ever experience and I did something pretty special but it's so hard for me to say that and admit that because I still don't have a medal to to, to kind of really, justify I really hear it, that, you know? I really hear that you know that is that is that tangible thing whereas experiences aren't quite as tangible yet they're just as meaningful um, I'm going to give you a little bit of coaching around language use so you use the word but quite a lot and what that does when we use the word but is it tends to negate what we've said before it. So if you think about somebody saying to you, I'm sorry, but, but. and you know there's now going to be yeah. this big defensiveness. And, and if you listen to what you're saying, you're like, oh, I had these amazing experiences, but, and you're kind of negating those. So my encouragement yeah. would be when you, when you talk about this to yourself internally and to other people, you say, I had these amazing experiences and I wish I'd have also achieved this tangible thing because then yeah, yeah. you can have both you can have amazing experiences and also feel like there could have been more and mm -hmm. you know especially us men we're so goal-driven like it, it has to be it has to be about I've won something I've achieved something there's this yeah. thing I can hold on to this medal I can put in my hand and say I did this this is me yeah. I did this here's this medal here's this picture of me on the podium yeah, my judgment is as you get older and you look back, the things that you will remember more is the friendships you made, the experiences that you had with people. Mm -hmm. You know, like thinking about the stupid stuff that just happened in training sessions and the fun you had. And usually as athletes get older, the thing they miss the most is the camaraderie that they had. Oh, yeah. Not so much the actual medals and events. You know, I'm speaking even myself. I, I, until my wife... Put, uh, put up um, she framed two of my national championships jerseys for me you could there's nothing in my house to let you know that I'm a competitive athlete I don't have medals anywhere I don't I just it never that kind of part of it never really appealed to me it was more mm -hmm. about the for me the personal challenge of like am I the best version of myself I can be so we've given you a little bit of time here. Let's go back to this question of like, what, what does life look like moving forward? And you don't have to answer that now. That's a big question. But to think about what it could look like, what can you take from the experiences you've had? And then, you know, what do you still need to learn? Well, I, I definitely think I'm, I'm, I'm not going to put all my eggs in one basket. I'm, I'm, I've kind of almost tried to start letting stuff go in my life. like. The old saying, you know, let it go. And if it comes back, it's meant to be. Yes. Just trying not to put as much pressure on that um, that control element of my life. Like with the training and the racing, I was always in control because, you know, 
doing those times, doing those efforts. I knew what was happening and I was, I was on it. Whereas now, um, and the business that I'm in, you know, presenting and, and within the cycling world, um, there, there's less control of what people actually think about that content. And, you know, it's, it's almost up to other people to, to kind of make my content good, I guess. Uh, but it's uh, that's certainly the road I want to go down. I don't know if that's a good road for someone like me to go down and my personality in terms of presenting, but that's where I find my passion now. That's where I find um, meaning in, in, in kind of like a career. And that's where I'd like to take it. But I guess on an emotional level, I just, what I've realized over the past couple of months is that, that, you know, talking is good. And that's what I want to do more of. And let people like let people know that it's all right to talk. Yeah, because I think we spoke about this last week um, on my podcast that um, you know people just hold it in, and 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 I spoke to a friend about the situation I'm going through at the minute, and he was he couldn't believe one I was going through the situation because on the surface you can't tell, and and two that I'm so open and honest about it and I'm willing to talk about it and in turn that allowed him to have the freedom to come and open up to me and or open up to whoever he wants to and and actually talk about his issues. And because of that, that makes him feel better. So potentially he might be able to help out his friend. And it's just a a self-fulfilling prophecy or a a circular kind kind of thing where more people are opening up. And that's kind of, that's pretty important to me nowadays because I'm not afraid to, to, to talk. There's a funny thing about vulnerability that I'm learning. So uh, have you seen some of the videos that I've been putting on Facebook mm-hmm. and Instagram and yeah. stuff? Okay. I'm getting a great response to them personally, but yeah. not socially. So, you know, I get some likes, but not that many likes. And some people share it, but not many people comment on it. I get way more private messages where people yeah. say, oh, that really meant something to me. I really appreciate you, what you said there. And I appreciate your vulnerability. And the thing about being vulnerable is, um, is it invites other people, exactly as you said, it invites other people into that space where they can be vulnerable. You know, one of the reasons that me and Ryan Owens run men's groups is because men often don't get the space to be heard. Um, And and once you give them the space, it's like, whoosh, all of this stuff comes out. (laughs) You know, years worth of stuff that's been stored up, that they've just been probably afraid is the best word but you know just unsure about sharing because you don't know who it's safe to share it with because you share Mm -hmm. it with somebody and then they use it against you or they you know they say you know they they kind of um, ridicule you or they put you down they use it in some way Mm -hmm. and you know I think you picked up some really interesting points there talking about control and what is real control as opposed to what we perceive control is. So when you were an athlete, you're like very controlled, right? This is how I'm going to do stuff. I train at this time. I do this. I have my protein shake afterwards. It's a regimented kind of control. And actually the emotional growth version of control is to put stuff out there and then just go, I'm okay with what comes back. That's real control is yeah. controlling your own reactions to things. And if somebody comes back, you know, every single time you do something, I'm sure somebody puts something in the comments where you're just like, you know, some dumb comment, like I saw one on the podcast that we did, like giving Cam a hard time or something. You're just like, like, 
why, why are you, why? I mean, we know why they're doing it. They're insecure about themselves. So they, then they project that out and have to yeah. you know, push that onto somebody else. Um, but, but, you know, this is where real control, this is where the adult version of control comes in, is you can control your response to that. And you can respond to them. And instead of being angry with them, you can, you can kind of look for their need behind it. So my wife, the therapist, would say, what does their wound that they're hiding with this hate that they're pushing yeah. out, you know? It's, yeah. it's, it's not about you. It's just a reflection of themselves. So what's the wound that they're hiding? And if you can see behind that, then there's this huge offering that you can give to the world. Instead of reacting and going, oh, they don't like me. Oh, they think I'm rubbish. To go, hey, what's going on for you, buddy? Mm. You know, we had a, on Sarah's, you know, Sarah's doing really well on her Instagram and she has like hundreds of comments on every post she does. And there was this one guy that kept commenting. So, you know, I messaged him and I said, I see you. What's going on for you right now? And then there was the kind of initial kind of like, eh, sort of, you know, like, you know. Yeah. And I just kept saying, okay, I hear your anger. What's going on for you? And then eventually he told me that he was getting divorced and he was splitting up with his partner and he was really struggling. And yeah. I'm like, well, how about just saying that instead of like, you know, trying to accuse my wife on her Instagram? Why don't you just say, hey, I'm struggling? And many people don't know, they don't have the language, they don't know how to do it. And most importantly, they, they don't want their vulnerability or fear to be seen. So, yeah. you know, that's up to people like me and you to lead the charge and say, right, men, it's okay. We can talk about this stuff. This is okay. Everybody goes through it. You know, the last video I did was, I'm not as tough as you think I am. Because people always tell me I'm really tough and I don't need support. And I'm like, actually, no, I'm not. And I do need support, mm -hmm. please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, it, do you know what? Going back to your point of, of people commenting you on the direct messages. Yeah. After our podcast that you came on, mm -hmm. um, within an hour, a guy had emailed me and said, you know, we had some nice comments in the, in the public forum, but he yeah. personally emailed me and just said, sorry to spam your email, but amazing, um, articulate guest. Like just, it, it just, again, it allowed him to start opening up and feel like, oh, I'm not the only one here. I'm not the only one struggling. And again, that's probably going to allow him to open up to one of his friends or, or somebody else and probably get that issue off his chest. And again, maybe that'll help somebody else. And um, going back to your other point of people leaving those mean comments, the, I always try and get involved in those um, and just be as, you know, be as nice as possible because yeah. nine times out of 10, when someone leaves one of those comments, I'll just say hello and then, I think it was Twitter that someone basically called me a, a, a an absolute, the worst kind of word you can imagine. <laughs> and instead of getting angry, I was like, well, let's just, let's just allow him to see what he's just said yeah. and kind of reflect it, you know, get him to look in a mirror for a moment and just say, just see if the issue is me or him. And we started chatting and then all of a sudden he follows me on Instagram. All of a sudden he's asking if I want to go riding with him. And, and all, you know, he never said what the problem was, but there was clearly an, an, another issue that was a, a fault here in him. Yes. I don't know if that's yeah. the right word, but do you know what I mean? It, it was projection. obviously going through something. Projection's yeah. a word we use for that. So, so, you know, projection is there's something going on for you. And instead mm -hmm. of you looking at it, you're going to project that onto somebody else. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know I'm, I'm six foot one six foot two you know 200 pounds 90 kilos i'm a fairly big man 
mm-hmm. and people project stuff onto me all the time because of just my physical stance and confidence. Yeah. So, you know, I've had people say, oh, you must be a really mean coach. You speak to my riders and they won't tell that, but people are intimidated by me just because I stand there, I stand tall yeah. and I'm comfortable in my skin. And that's not about me, that's about them Damn. and the perception that they have that I might be like because they've met other people that were big and bullies and were mean to them. Yeah. So they then project that onto you or because they're feeling insecure about themselves and they look at you and they're like kind of I don't know, i'm not sure envy is the right word but they're projecting what they want to be onto you and then they get yep they have a, an emotional reaction to it mm-hmm. so you know what we can do as skillful emotionally involved guys is to i love what you said there is to see them because yeah. let's go back to those three things that we want right we want safety mm-hmm. we want um you know, attention, love, and we want to be in control. Yeah. So these people feel a bit out of control, which is why they're projecting, and they want to be loved. And they're going around it the wrong way. Wrong way. Everybody's going around it the wrong way, you know? We, as men, we've all approached women the wrong way and been too desperate or, you know, like whatever. And we've all done it wrong, you know? Yeah. And it's just about getting our own needs met. And if you can be smart enough to look at that person instead of like, you know, who is this a-hole giving me a hard time? Mm-hmm. You look at it and you go, what's this person need? What, what, are, yeah. what are they lacking right now? What do they need? What's, what's causing them to be that aggressive to me? Because they don't know you. You haven't done yeah. anything to them. You know, you're just triggering something in them that either they wish they had or that, you know, they're kind of it's painful for them. And you're just, as you said about that guy, you're holding this mirror up to them for them mm-hmm. to see themselves. And then they're like, I don't like yeah, it. I'm going to yeah. push that on you instead. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. So, so where can this evolve to then, Chris? You're a smart guy. People like you. You know, I really liked the way me and Ryan came off, and we both said we really liked the way that you steered the podcast. You were good at that. You were good at asking, you know, insightful questions, and you had a really good skill, which you know some podcast presenters don't. Is that you? kept your mouth shut when you needed to and just let us speak rather than interrupting that that can be irritating as a viewer of podcasts where are you going to use this how how does this how do you have your impact on the world for you well thanks mate um now seeing as we're all about opening up and we're having Mm. you know a frank discussion my my dream is to is to have my own show whether that be a podcast whether that be um on tv or youtube or whatever it might be that's kind of what i want to do and i want i i am fascinated by interviewing people like finding out about other people and i just i remember um because you left that comment and it got me thinking like you know it's not a skill that i've that i know i've got that i've tried to to harness or hone but i've always been a, a relatively good listener i've always um, wanted to know about people so if I'm ever in a conversation um, like all the way back when I had a personal trainer back in 2004 she used to say to me stop asking questions all the time you know why are we doing this what are we doing this for um, where are we going why 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 she said you always say why just stop it and that and and it's kind of stuck with me for the rest of my life and I do find it insightful and fascinating to to sit and listen to people's stories listen to people's point of view um and yeah i i guess it, without blowing my own trumpet i i do feel quite confident in my ability to do that you know i probably wouldn't have said that 
maybe a couple of months ago, but now I, I feel like I'm capable of doing that. And that's, that's what I'd it, like to how do. How does it feel to own that? Um, I, or, or I'm thinking of people in my head, other people's opinion now. Like as, when I say that, a lot of people are thinking, shut up, stop being a dickhead, get a normal job. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's lots of people out there that would think that. So um, I'm going to reflect something to you now that's, that isn't, that is worldwide, but is particularly to the British. Do you understand the term uh, tall poppy syndrome? Uh, were we talking about that last week? No. We oh, no, I was, listening, that, I was listening to it on an audio po- uh, book last week. Okay. So I do now, yeah. Okay. So, you know, just for the listeners at home, it's either called king killing or tall poppy syndrome. And that's, you know, if you if you stand out, if you rise above, and this is one of the things that America tends to be better than the UK at, like there's actually, you're encouraged to stand out in America. You're encouraged to rise above. Mm-hmm. Um, they have less personal and collective shame about themselves and what they can achieve. And, uh, you know, I know I was part of this in school. I was one of those kids that knocked somebody else down. If, you know, oh, who do you think you are? Oh, you're so flash, mate. You know, I've I've been there and I've had to do my own personal work on like how I'm going to stand up and be counted and stand out and be comfortable with being a leader and standing out. So so those negative voices you're hearing there, that's that social conditioning of, Mm -hmm. you know, in the UK, you shouldn't stand out. We want you to be, you know, part of the crowd. Don't be too flash. You know, you look at how somebody who's got a really nice car in the UK is often kind of people tease them they're like oh look at you with your flash car who do you think you are you know in america it's like oh my god you've got a lamborghini how do i like touch it and touch you and stand next to you and like show the object so you know that's one of the things that can hold the uk back there's this kind of almost collective embarrassment and shame Um, you know you just got to look at how even england looks at itself compared to Wales, Scotland and Ireland, where Wales, Scotland and Ireland are like, I'm proud to be Scottish and, you know, I'm going to fly my Scottish flag and we can't wait until we're taking the English on in rugby. And England being that kind of bigger bully kind of like sinks down a little bit and it's Mm -hmm. like, we're not going to be quite so proud about that. You know, like St. George's Day isn't a particularly big deal with, you know, Mm -hmm. St. Patrick's Day is this massive deal. So there is this kind of collective Englishness around it where it's like you can't stand out and you have an opportunity to stand up and just brush that aside. That's not about you. That's about them. Mm. And going back to, you know, control, you get to control how you react to that and you can react to that and you can shrink back down and you can get squashed by it or you can stand up and you can go, I don't care what you think. You know, I've got something to do here. I've got a passion to do something. I know I'm good at it. I'm going to do it and I'm going to be successful at it. And, you know, maybe you can use some of that fuel from the disappointment of not achieving what you wanted to in the cycling performance world to go, well, that's the thing that's also going to keep me motivated to, Mm. you know, to be the success that I want to be, you know, to get your medal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe my medal's not a physical medal anymore, you know, and maybe it's in something else. And, uh, you know, I think it's probably a great place to end the podcast and leave it there. And now I'm going to leave you and you're going to be texting me like, ah! (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm thinking of all these things. What do I yeah. need to do? <laughs> just, just, just give me another hour. <laughs> but you know what? What I want to do is I kind of want to, you know, offer to you that you do have a skill set. You are good at something. You, and, you know, I've been really impressed, like looking at your show, the viewership that you've built up already. You know, somebody doing podcasts. Me and Ryan and Sarah, we're creating content. We're doing podcasts. I know how hard it is to build mm-hmm. that viewership up. And you've done it so quickly. So people obviously resonate with you. you know what you're doing, they resonate. And I, and I think it's interesting that, although it's based around cycling, as you even said when you started it, it's the, almost the non-cycling, cycling podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, like how much do people really care about, you know, like a detailed interview with riders? You know, there's some people that do, but what we really want to know is we want to know the person. We want to know the person behind the performances. Yeah. That's what, that's what most people get excited about. You know, you look at Graham Norton, they don't tend to talk about their money and the films they've done. They talk about the funny stories that have happened to them and they talk about exactly. the challenging things that have happened to them. And that's how we then connect with these people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't care how much, you know, a top star earns. I want to listen to the, the challenges that they've had in their life that they've overcome. Mm, yeah and yeah and I think that's where that's what I what where I want to go with with you know interviewing people and and speaking to people because yeah I just find it absolutely fascinating like my story if it wasn't me I would go holy like that is that is an amazing story that's like a a Hollywood script up to a certain degree and it's really fascinating that someone's kind of gone through that but I guess because it's mine it's like "Eh, yeah just whatever do you know what I mean yeah yeah, you know, that's back to that, you know, like British. You know, yeah, exactly. Really, yeah. You know, I can't stand out too much. You know, I've got to, got to hide hide my light, you know, like, yeah. um, sod that, you know, shine. I'm, I'm learning Shine that. as bright as you want to shine. And you can't, you're not responsible for the way that anybody else reacts. You're only responsible for the way that you react. And yeah. you get to choose how those people react. And if they're going to react badly... It doesn't matter because you're going to have a larger percentage of people that are going to react well to what you're doing, and mm. and I, you know I just want to keep encouraging you. I, I'm I admire your bravery. You know, like talking about the fact you you had therapy on on your show. Yeah. Um, you know, the more of us that talk about that, the healthier our population becomes, and the happier everybody is, and the better the world. Mm. You know, bit kumbaya, but you know the better the world is because we can all communicate on a meaningful level rather than that really surface level. Yeah. And how's that not a better thing? You know, how could that not be better for the, for the, for the world? I, I, the way I look at it now is um, that that's the kind of people I want to surround myself with. So that's mm-hmm. how I choose who's in my life. Like, you know, is yeah. somebody willing to properly talk? I don't want to just have surface conversations all the time. You know, it's fun to talk about, you know, splits from bike racing and, hey, what yep. did Harry Levation do at the World Championships? He did a 9-2. Oh, my God, that's amazing. That's fun. But, you know, I also want to also know, like, how are you doing? You know, like, yeah. is it like being a dad? Like, what challenges are you facing there? That kind of stuff, you know. I, for me, I want to have, feel that emotional connection with people. I, I'm not particularly – I don't like small talk. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't do it very well. Yeah, that's, yeah, not everybody can. Some people can, so yeah, some people can't. But, yeah, what do, what do, you, it's, what do you get out of small talk? You know, you don't 
you don't really learn much more about that person you're actually talking to. And like you say, you ask those those questions where you can, if someone's willing to to answer them, then you actually get to to learn about them and learn about yourself on a much on a much deeper level, don't you? Yeah, you do. Um, this has been awesome. I thank you for your time, oh, Chris. No, hey, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Great I've show. Love talking yeah, to you. you. Great to connect with you again. Um, for our guests out there, sorry, for our guests, you're the guest. For our <laughs> listeners out there, um, I'll put it in the show notes, but where can people find you? Where can they find you on social media? So, uh, show? if you're into cycling, um, we run a we run a, a very ad hoc podcast where we we try and get as many cycling people on but we always end up talking about other stuff that's um available on youtube on spotify itunes and soundcloud if you search the groupetto you should be able to find that over on youtube is our youtube cycling news channel um and just for my personal ego if you want to go and follow me on instagram it's chris underscore pritch underscore where i post pictures <laughs> and he likes the likes so make sure you like his I pictures love the likes. <laughs> please massage the ego awesome thank you very much chris appreciate it cheers thank you for listening to this episode of the maximize your potential podcast we would love to hear from you with suggestions for guests and topics for us to cover please follow us and comment with your thoughts on facebook and instagram at maximize your potential coaching or email us at info at maximizeyourpotentialcoaching.com.